You're listening to the Bridal Beauty Boss Podcast, and I'm your host, Susan Telemontes. Here, we'll dive into business building and Instagram marketing strategies for the ambitious wedding hair stylist and makeup artist. Grab a notebook and a cup of coffee, and let's get to building your dream bridal beauty business. Hey babes, so I don't need much of an intro to this episode because it's exactly as the title states. I'm sharing 10 mistakes that I made at the beginning of my bridal beauty business. And if you're new here, I just want to quickly go over my background because I know I have been having a lot of new listeners lately. So I started doing weddings in 2008. And I also did cuts and colors and all those services at the salon. But in 2016, after I became obsessed with business building strategies, I decided to launch my bridal beauty company full time with a team concept. So I totally left like the whole salon world behind, dropped all my clients that I took eight years to build and just went full force with my bridal beauty company. After building a team in California, I launched a team in Hawaii and Las Vegas. I started doing mentorship because I saw such a huge need for it in our industry. And for the longest time, so many hair and makeup artists lacked the business strategy. And I'm so passionate about helping women build and improve their businesses because it's what I wish I had at that time when I was just building and starting out. I wish I had someone to help me and guide me and lead me. I would have saved so much time, headache, and energy. For real, I would like stay up to like 2 in the morning. No, not even 2. Maybe like 5 in the morning. Sleep for like an hour or 2. Wake up. Take the kids to school. It was crazy at the beginning, like building stages of my business. Um, so that's what led me to today's topic. I'm taking myself all the way back to 2008 to share 10 mistakes that I made so that you can learn from them. Okay, mistake number one. Are you guys ready? This topic came up recently with a Brian, and that's what sparked my whole idea for this podcast and you know led me down this train a bride recently asked if her bridesmaid has super short hair like shoulder length hair she just wants some simple curls you know how they always worn things super easy very simple and little do they know that it's not easy and simple you know it takes a lot of effort and energy and skill set to create that look, right? So she asked if my bridesmaid has, you know, short hair, is it still the same rate? And at the beginning of my business or serving weddings, I used to price hairstyling services based upon hair length or like if I would have um, a lot of times mothers of the bride and groom they have short or thin hair, right? And so at the beginning, I felt like it was wrong to charge them the same as somebody who has like super long, full, thick hair. Here's the problem with that is that when I had that pricing set up that way, 
of course I would have brides that would check the box for like shorter hair because it costs less and then I show up on wedding day and they actually have longer hair so they were not being honest in that aspect and then number two is that a lot of times somebody who has shorter thinner hair for example like a mother of the bride even if she's wanting to wear her hairstyle because a lot of moms they want to wear the same hairstyle that they're used to on a daily basis and they don't want to try like new things or new hairstyles for a special occasion or for their daughter's wedding day so in like theory it feels like it should be super easy you know it's not going to take that much time they don't have a ton of hair and it's short but in reality it's not <laughs> if you're doing it right and you're taking it section by section spending time to curl each section or tease each section especially if it's on the thinner side you're going to want to tease to make it look fuller they always want it to look fuller it ends up taking the same amount of time as if i worked on a bridesmaid with longer thicker hair um, if not even more sometimes it takes a little longer but they all average to be about the same a bridesmaid with like shoulder length hair it will average to be about the same amount of time because the techniques are the same and so it is just one flat rate per hairstyle and per makeup service um, that is lesson number one Okay, number two is a very, very common mistake that I still see a ton of hair and makeup artists doing. And it's a little surprising because this is a mistake that's talked about pretty often in hair and makeup communities. But still, somehow, it's still happening. So I'm going to cover it. And that is not collecting payment ahead of time. So a lot of these topics or mistakes that I'm going to point out, I do have stories for them because that's how we learn. Unless you have a mentor or a business coach to help you set up all your processes and systems, policies and contracts within your business and kind of create a roadmap for you to avoid all of these mistakes then you're going to make mistakes and you're going to live and learn the hard way. And it sucks because a lot of times you end up losing money that way and it stings. But then you fix the problem, you learn from it, and you never make that mistake again, hopefully. <laughs> so at the very, very beginning of my career doing weddings, I was working for another artist. And as a side note, if you're working for another artist, you should definitely, you know, ask these this artist and make sure that they have their systems together, their policies in place, their ducks are in a row. So that way they are protecting themselves as well as protecting you as the artist that's helping them with the wedding. Of course, I didn't know that at all at this time in my career so i go to do this wedding with an artist who hired me to help her and we're having a great time there's actually like three or four of us that did this wedding it's a pretty decent sized wedding and it's next to the beach so we're having a great time you know we're doing everyone's hair and makeup and there's no complaints everything is just like good vibes so we go home 
turns out that the artist never collected payment from the bride or the bridesmaids and now they don't want to pay for the services so what happened was obviously like nobody they they claimed that they didn't like their hair and makeup but there was no complaints that day they just saw an opportunity to take advantage because there was no payment made so they could very easily get away with not paying so they decided to not pay and um you know at the end of the day all of us decided to just take the loss we basically worked a whole wedding for free and that really sucked so always always collect payments ahead of time i suggest anywhere from two to eight weeks in advance um two at minimum is great and yeah that's it for number two number three is to never assume anything that the client didn't say so i know that sounds a little confusing <laughs> i think it's the way that i wrote it but i remember getting you know emails from brides for example wanting to cancel their wedding date and i would be like oh my gosh immediately like my heart would drop and i would just get anxious and i'd be like oh my gosh you know she she probably wants her retainer back and what am i going to say you know in the beginning <laughs> when you're when you're first going through all these things i'm laughing now because <laughs> I've grown so much past this stage, so it's funny to like revisit those feelings, but it's true. In the beginning, when you come into these situations and you're put in a position to where you need to enforce your policies, you're just like tripping out. So in the example, like a bride, you know, counseling, sends an email, hey, I need to cancel my wedding date for XYZ reason. We're not getting married anymore or whatever the case is. And immediately I'm like assuming in my head, oh my gosh, they want a refund. They want their retainer back. But they never said that, right? All they said was that they're canceling their wedding. And instead, I want to have or invite you to have like a mindset shift and instead of assuming the worst and assuming things that they never even said, assume that they're going to follow your policies because, duh, they signed the contract, right? They signed the contract. They read every policy that you have. They read where there's no refund on the retainer and they signed it. So isn't it pretty obvious that we should assume that they're going to honor the contract instead of assuming that they're going to ask us to breach the contract, right? It sounds so simple, but we do this all the time. I know <laughs> because I lived it. Okay. That leads me to the next mistake, which is wavering on your policies. What's the point of us even establishing our boundaries within our contract if we're not going to stand by it, right? So stand your ground and stand by your policies. And I'm going to go back to the last example that I just gave. 
about 90% of brides who cancel will still try and ask for a refund <laughs> because they figure like, why not, right? So even when I get a cancellation email, if they don't ask for a refund initially, I will send them an email, you know, wishing them the best, whatever. And then the next email, they'll reply with, oh, do you think I could get a refund? <laughs> or they'll ask for the refund in the first email. Either way, I'm going to stand my ground because my contract protects me from this. They know what they signed and legally, I'm not required to give them a refund, right? So, but they're just, they're just asking on like a whim, just hoping that maybe we'll you know, will budge for them and will end up refunding them. But after you stand your ground in a kind and professional manner, they move on and that's it. It's not that scary, guys. Trust me. It's scary the first couple of times you have to do these kind of things, but that's what being a business owner is all about. Like running and owning a business is not easy and it's not meant for the weak. In the beginning, we're going to have these fears and, you know, it, it's going to shake us up a little, but trust me, you will build that, that strong foundation and you will be able to, you know, it will get easier and easier for you to just stand your ground and very easily and professionally enforce your policies. I want to add to stand your ground even if the bride seems super friendly or you personally know the bride. And I remember at the beginning of my career, there would be times, and I know a lot of you guys will be able to relate to this too, <laughs> where we would like vibe with the bride in email or a phone call or maybe at the trial run. And we're like, oh, she's so nice. She's so sweet. I love her. I'm so excited to work with her. And then we start to bend our policies or, you know, make exceptions for them. What happens is somewhere psychologically in their brain, when you do that, all of a sudden, they don't respect any policies that you have in place because you're showing them that you don't even respect your own policies. So once you decide to make an exception and go against your policies for one thing, they're going to continue to ask for more and more and more. And it's just so crazy how much this happens that every single time you make an exception, you will see that it always turns around to bite you in the butt. It always turns around to be not a good idea. Even if the bride seemed like super sweet, super friendly. I don't know why it just happens. Um, so another story that I have to go along with this is. At this point, I already had built my bridal beauty team. And so it was more established where I learned all of my lessons already. I had my ducks in a row. But I had a client that had hired me for years for all her special occasions for her hair and makeup. And she was like a friend, her and her cousin. And I always did their hair and makeup. And so finally she was getting married. And it was a larger wedding. Um, I brought a few of my artists with me. And this was also a rare occasion 
where I was able to do her wedding and then head on over to another wedding afterwards. And this only happens when like the stars align, the stars align and the location of the next wedding is like super close by, timing works out, everything is good. So we uh, do the my friend's wedding and I'm looking around before I leave, you know, we were just like finishing up services and they had asked to add on like two or three services. And I told my, my team, go ahead and, you know, take the additional services and then I will um, invoice the bride afterwards. Like, don't worry about collecting payment. I'll just send her an invoice afterwards. And then I left. Now, I want you guys to also keep in mind that I thoroughly vet my team. Every artist on my team is super, super talented and they are also very professional. So, and uh, especially these specific artists that I left um, there at the wedding, I had been working with them for years, never any complaints. They always deliver high quality service and they're very talented. So again, here's another situation where the bride's family saw an opportunity to not pay for the services because they weren't charged ahead of time. And so they saw an opportunity and decided to say, oh, we weren't happy with our hair and makeup, so we're not going to pay for it. So that was another lesson to be learned. And a lot of times, like I had already learned this lesson, but I made an exception because my heart, thinking with my heart and not my business brain, <laughs> was like, oh, you know, like I know this girl, worked with her for years, you know, she would never like not pay me. And that was a lesson that I had to come out of pocket and pay my artist for the work that they did and because it was my mistake and I'm the leader of the team. So that's what happens. And, you know, every once in a while you will still make some silly mistake. Number five is being disorganized and not having proper processes and systems in place to serve my brides. So at the beginning of serving weddings, I used paper contracts, Adobe eSign, and I made all my notes on the paper contracts, by the way, and then I collected payments with Square. It was a really messy, taped together process, but at that time, when I was building my business, I didn't have any guidance because there was no such things thing as mentors or business coaches at this time. So I had to figure everything out myself. And so I would like Google things and research. And for some reason, this was the conclusion that I came to. And it worked for a short, very short period of time, but it wasn't sustainable because as my business grew and as the increase started coming in, business was booming my little tape together process was failing. I was like sorting through a bunch of papers, you know, trying to find the bride's contract and it was just a hot mess. So one day I went and had a business coffee date with a photographer friend of mine 
and we're talking about you know contracts or processes systems something and i pull out the fat stack of papers of contracts and she just like hysterically laughed at me <laughs> she's like you need honeybook like i can't believe that you are doing this i'm like overwhelmed oh that's what it was i was overwhelmed with the amount of bookings that were coming in and i'm like you know frustrated like i can't you know take these bookings i it's too much for me because i had a freaking like dinosaur age process <laughs> when all along all i needed was honeybook like hello Honeybook allows you to easily keep all your weddings organized. Each bride has their own profile. And within that profile is your email communication. You have um, files that you share with them. So that's usually like the pricing guide that you share with them, the contract and their payment plan. It's everything that you need to run your bridal beauty business in one. And it's so seamless, so easy. You can even set up workflows, automated email sequences. It's just amazing. So that's how I discovered HoneyBook and shameless plug. Of course, I have a discount. If you want to access the discount, you get 50% off HoneyBook for your first year. And the link is in the show notes. Number six is collecting your reviews on a site that you have to pay for like The Knot or WeddingWire or Yelp. So my favorite place to collect reviews is Google. And that's because everybody uses Google, first of all. Second of all, it's amazing for your SEO. So you come up easier when brides are searching for your services in your area. And it's super neat, clean, organized. I just love it. And it's not a platform that you have to pay for. It's free. So if you haven't set up your Google um, business account, like do that now. And in the beginning of my career, I collected uh, reviews like everywhere. So I have a bunch of reviews that are scattered throughout all these different websites and then now I've been solely collecting reviews on Google for the last few, few years. And so I have this good chunk on Google and then I have a bunch of others that are just sprinkled throughout all these other platforms. Every once in a while, I will still get a bride who will randomly leave me a review, for example, on Yelp, because that's just what they're used to using. And that's where they go for if they're looking for like a restaurant or a business, then they just always go to Yelp. But if I can help it, um, I always send them to Google for my reviews. Number seven is a juicy one, and it's allowing to change services at any point. <laughs> so obviously this could be a huge problem. Let's say you're hired to do six services, six hairstyles, let's say. And, you know, like week of the wedding, all of a sudden the bride emails you and now instead of six hairstyles, she only wants to do two hairstyles. Well, that is a huge game changer, right? In income. And that's not what you were expecting. This really 
becomes an issue when you have a team as well. So you always want to make sure that you are in tip-top shape first and your business is in tip-top shape and you've learned all these lessons and optimized your processes, systems, policies before you build a team. Because now, for example, let's say a bride hires you for 10 services and so you bring a second artist and she's going to do five services you're going to do five services well let's say the bride cancels five services the week of the wedding all of a sudden that second artist has no services to do and so you're not protecting your artist um and it's income that was expected that's not there anymore so definitely make sure that you put this policy into your contract and you want to be very specific about what you will and will not allow number eight is not setting separate policies for trial run appointments so aka having like a trial run agreement that's separate from the wedding day because it's a separate appointment it's a separate date and so you want to make sure that they are committing to this appointment you lay out what your policies are if they want to cancel if they want to reschedule how much advance notice do you need to know and do they get any money back or do they is it non-refundable all those things and then also point out that you know booking a trial run does not secure their wedding date that's a whole nother topic <laughs> that we could get into I'm trying not to go too too deep into the policies because I could talk about this for hours but have a separate trial run appointment agreement so that way you're protecting yourself from cancellations reschedules and it's always good to be on the same page with the bride. So lay everything out, expectations, lay them all out, and then you both agree to those terms and expectations. Number nine is not scheduling enough cushion time and also not knowing how to handle disruptions so that the schedule runs smoothly. I remember in the beginning of my career, I, you know, it takes time to learn what your timing is per service, per hairstyle, per makeup look, what your average timing is. A good rule of thumb to follow is to schedule more than enough time. You don't want the schedule to be super tight. If you, for example, know that you can get one service done in 30 minutes, you want to schedule like maybe 45 minutes to an hour per service so that way you have that cushion time and it just builds up the reason for that is well there's lots of reasons for that but one is that in case of any unforeseen circumstances as you're driving to the wedding venue what if you hit traffic there's an accident like something happens that you were not planning for and you know now that's gonna eat into your cushion time but thank god you have cushion time there was also one time that i showed up to a wedding venue my team and i and 
were all locked out of the wedding venue. The bride and the bridesmaids were all standing outside in the parking lot. And it turns out that the person who was supposed to open the venue for us to start getting ready was at home asleep. She forgot to wake up or, you know, didn't hear her alarm or whatever. And so we had to sit there outside waiting for her to wake up, get dressed and come up on the door for us. That set us back about 30 to 45 minutes. I don't remember how long it was, but whatever it was, we had cushion time. And so we were still able to get everyone done on time. So you always want to plan for the unexpected, like crazy situations that could happen. Another another story that just came to mind right now. I showed up to do a wedding and again, I had my team with me. We get there and nobody's there except for the father of the bride. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, the girls, they just went to go do yoga. They should be back, you know, any minute now or they should be back sometime soon. Go ahead and help yourself to some coffee and hot chocolate. And so we're like, okay. So we set up, we all make like coffees and hot chocolates and we just wait for them to get back. It took them maybe 30 minutes past the time that we were supposed to start. So thank God, again, we had cushion time to allow us to still finish all the services on time. So you never know what's going to come your way. Now, on the flip side of that is that everything can run smoothly. So let's say there's no, you know, unexpected circumstances that pop up. You get there on time. Everybody's ready for services. But having that cushion time just allows you to have a fun, enjoyable, relaxing experience for your clients so that no one's feeling stressed or rushed. You guys can chit chat like you guys can have a good time and you're not feeling stressed or rushed as well. Um, It also helps just in case because once in a while you might have somebody who has super, super long, super thick hair or like a more difficult hairstyle to execute that takes longer or makeup look that takes longer, um, a skin type to work on that might take longer, all these things that could come up. Um, And then the second part of that is how to handle disruptions so that the schedule runs smoothly. The most common disruption that comes to mind is like a bridesmaid, you know, wanting a touch up or an adjustment after you've already consulted with her, you've already completed the service. And then, you know, now she got dressed and, you know, like messed up her hair or like, oh, can I have a little more blush or like, you know, something weird that they want to fix or adjust or add on. An easy solution for that is to just, sorry, my alarm went off. An easy solution for that is to just let them know that you're going to complete all the services and all the touch-ups and everything will happen at the end. That way they know that we're on a schedule. We want to make sure that you know, everyone gets done on time. And then we do have that time slot at the end for any adjustments or touch-ups that we need to do. And that usually puts them at ease. So they know that you're not forgetting about them. You're not going to not serve them. You're just 
you know, going to continue with the schedule so that way everybody gets done and gets done on time and gets served because it's not fair to the next person who's getting worked on either that you're now eating into their time for their hair and makeup services. Um, so that's just a quick one that comes to mind, but a lot of these you'll learn with experience as well. Okay, the last and final tip I have, or mistake, I should say, number 10 is not thoroughly vetting styled photo shoots. So if you don't know what a styled photo shoot is, it's where a group of wedding vendors come together to trade their time and their services in exchange for amazing photos. So everybody donates their time and their services, and then they create like a mock wedding or a an elopement, you know, a bride and groom. And this can be done on many different levels or scales. It could be super small. It can be big and include bridal party and a cake table setup and, you know, all that good stuff. So at the beginning of my career, I was so eager to build my portfolio and get these professional photos that and I also just didn't know, right, that I should be vetting these styled shoots. So I would hop onto any wedding styled shoot. As long as it was a wedding and it was bridal, I was on board. And <clears throat> what happened was a lot of times, I not a lot of times, but a few times, and these were like a painful few times, <laughs> where I signed up for a photo shoot and you know, like the photographer's editing style was just very, very much not my um, brand. And so it was like, let's say two dark images or two brown images or whatever and desaturated or whatever. And I just couldn't use the photos at all. Or maybe their photography style was not in line with my brand or my aesthetics. So like the type of poses that they used or um, the whatever, it just didn't line up with my brand. And then, you know, even the models sometimes, like maybe their look was not my ideal clientele or the florist, you know, was not. Flowers are very important for your branding and your image. And flowers actually say a lot. I did not realize that in the beginning, but yeah, you like literally every detail and aspect in a styled photo shoot is important. Colors, florals, um, the photography style, the models, the wedding dresses that they're wearing or the attire that they're wearing, all the details, they all matter and they are all a part of your brand and your aesthetic. And so a few times I would drive far locations and distances to get to a styled photo shoot. I would donate my time and my services and get a model ready and then get the images back. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are horrible. Like I can't use this. I can't even share any of these photos because they're so not in line with my brand or what I want to attract. So, um, yes, just always vet the styled shoots first 
before you agree to donate your time and services. And it really sucks when you drive super far and you wasted like all day dedicated to this and then you can't even use the images after.